following audio is from St Nick's Durham. As a church, we exist to love God, love people and love Durham. We hope that this sermon will serve you well as a supplement to your regular Bible reading, prayer and participation in your local church. For more information about St Nick's Durham, directions or resources, please visit stnicks.org.uk. Our reading this evening is from Nehemiah chapter 1. The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah. In the month of Kislev, in the twentieth year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hunani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the providence, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Then I said, Lord, the God of heaven, great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commandments, decrees and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commandments, then even if your exiled people are the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. They are your servants and your people, whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. I was cupbearer to the king. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Good evening. As we begin our series on Nehemiah, let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for the wonderful gift of Holy Scripture. Give us open eyes and open ears, open hearts and open minds, so that we may learn wisdom from your word this evening. Amen. Welcome to the book of Nehemiah. Where to begin? with a history lesson or a summary of key theological points or maybe just maybe by tuning in imaginatively to the story that the book of nehemiah tells and experiencing its unfolding drama and intensity so come with me back in time and across the world 
We are channel surfing on late night TV in the ancient Near East. And we chance upon an old man staring straight to camera and telling us a story with a strange glint in his eyes. It is the ancient Nehemiah with his long gray beard and his glittering eye and he stops the viewer with his steely gaze. There was news from Sousa. He begins. When was it? The month of Kislev in the 20th year. The caption says late 445 BC and offers the chance to press the red button if you want to know more. And I was in downtown Susa. That's the far-flung capital of empire out in the east, a long way from home. And my brother came with others and they brought news from Judah, from the homeland, news from Jerusalem. And the news was not good. He recounts the trouble and disgrace of those who had survived the exile back in Jerusalem and how in particular the walls of the city are ruined and the city gates have been burned with fire. Old man Nehemiah pauses, painful with the memory, and he says, When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Now before we go on, we press pause for a moment, no longer channel surfing, because we've come upon a story that speaks straight to our hearts. Notice how little background information we actually needed to realize that an old man and his memoirs talking about how they survive the hardest of times might be just the story we needed to hear. The book of Nehemiah dives straight into its mode of direct address to the reader. And we're doing the same as we begin this series on the book. I think the only real piece of background information we need concerns the exile and return from exile that the people of God had gone through in preceding times. So briefly, in the 6th century BC, the Israelites had been taken off into exile with Jerusalem laid waste, though presumably not completely empty and they had suffered at the hands of the Babylonians. And then the Babylonians had lost their power and the Persian Empire had come to prominence, based even further east than Babylon, indeed for part of the year based in the Persian city of Susa, where Nehemiah was working. And then that the exiled people of Israel had been allowed to return home by the Persians, but that despite much hope, and the excitement the return from exile had not been a glorious moment of re-establishing the nation. That's where we have tuned in to the narrative at the beginning of the book of Nehemiah, although in ancient times that was midway through the combined book of Ezra-Nehemiah. And note, in a rare moment of the Old Testament when we are hearing the lead character 
tell the story themselves in the first person. People sometimes call these opening chapters of Nehemiah the Nehemiah Memoir. Not his diary, I guess, but at least his memory of all that unfolded as he was out in Susa working for the Persian king, while his people were struggling in Jerusalem, their normal ways of life battered and broken. In a very straightforward manner, then, we're about to hear from Nehemiah the man, his heart heavy, his times difficult, his people struggling. And we are about to hear him tell us how he ended up involved in rebuilding the city of Jerusalem. That's the story that will unfold in chapters 2, 3, 4, and so on. But I'd like to suggest, right here at the outset of our journey through the book, that the focus is not really on Nehemiah himself. He does not offer himself as a model as such. We are not here for lessons in how to lead building projects or teamwork, though there will be some of that along the way. Nehemiah is not, despite what some say, the hero of his book. No, the hero of the book of Nehemiah is in the first instance God, whose work of rebuilding this is. And in the second place, the hero, or perhaps the focus of the book, is the city of Jerusalem itself, the place where God's people uh, live, the holy city, as Nehemiah 11 will call it twice, which is actually rather unusual in the Old Testament. It only uses this label at most two or three other times. And now think, as our hand hovers over the pause button, ready to resume tuning in to the words of Nehemiah himself in his memoir. If this is a book about God and about the life and worship of the people of God after a great disruption and under pressure and in touching distance of great discouragement in the face of all that, well now, doesn't that sound like a book that might almost be God-given for thinking about life in mid-2021, emerging from lockdowns and rumours of lockdowns, wondering how the work of God can ever be rebuilt, whether the dwelling of God's people will ever be glorious again and how we might be called to live as we play our own part. People of St. Nick's. Old man Nehemiah is talking not just straight to camera, but directly to us. His story can illuminate our story across the centuries and across the continents. His brothers were bearers of bad news, and he sat down and wept. We, for our part, we have our own bad news. We have been living through it for a year or two now in its COVID-related forms, as well as all the usual things that there are to worry about. Perhaps sitting down to weep for us too is one step in the right response.
But weeping is not the final word. We press play. Turns out we interrupted Nehemiah mid-sentence. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed, he says. And then he offers us his prayer. Now, a quick bit of checking the difference between Nehemiah 1.1 and Nehemiah 2.1 will reveal that his period of mourning and fasting and praying occupied a good three or four months. Actually, a more thorough check would reveal that there are various opinions on how long it lasted. I'm going for three to four months, and that's probably the lowest estimate. The prayer that follows takes seven verses. So let's assume that it is a kind of summary of some of the many hours and days he spent in prayer throughout that time. For dramatic purposes, it is presented as a single short prayer. And there on screen, old man Nehemiah is reenacting it for us as we watch. But this prayer is at the heart of all his months of struggling to respond. And so I think we are expected to pay careful attention and learn something here about prayer. But before we learn something about prayer, let's not rush past this first and most simple observation of all. That when the bad news came, Nehemiah, who will become something of a man of action as his book unfolds, does not in fact rush off into action. He does not leap into a plan or pack his bags and set off from Susa on the overnight sleeper. He will go on to do many, many things as the tale unfolds, a lot of it very practical. But the way the book is told maybe suggests that none of it would have made any difference without this first act, this first step. He sat down, he wept, he mourned, he fasted, he prayed. God has not made us as people who can just bounce into practically responding to bad news and hard times and expect to fix the problem. Weeping and mourning in 2021 are not failures of spiritual strength of character. They may in fact be signs of our spiritual strength of character. All is not well with our world. All was not well with Nehemiah's world. And when all is not well, the Bible is persistently clear we begin by engaging with that reality in prayer. So how does Nehemiah do it? The prayer of Nehemiah 1, which as I say was probably thrashed out over several months of crying out in prayer, picks out some key elements of engaging with God as we pray. He starts by appealing to the God of heaven, great and awesome God, and asks for God to pay attention to his prayer. He confesses sins, not, interestingly, just his own, though including his own, as he puts it, but actually the sins of we Israelites, like Moses before him and like Jesus after him. When Nehemiah prays for the people, 
he counts himself with them. In this case, their failures are his failures. But then, verse 8, if you are following along in detail, that most wondrous of characteristics of Old Testament prayer, and still I think a strong part of Jewish spirituality today, comes Nehemiah daring to remind God of God's own promises. Remember the instruction you gave, he says, and he seems to quote from bits of Leviticus and Deuteronomy, where, yes, God said that the people would be scattered around the world if they were unfaithful, but also, and how much more, God promised that if they returned to faithfulness, then they would be gathered together. Some translations struggle with the strange wording of this image. Even if God's exiled people are under or in the, the farthest skies, I mean, how scattered could you be? As far as the farthest horizon seems to be the point. Wherever they are, God will move earth and heaven to bring them home. Lord, be attentive to this prayer says Nehemiah again. You promised to act, so you must act. Well, I don't know how we would best describe our own prayers. I hope we are as confident as Nehemiah. Of course, at the same time, it is a confidence won only by first sitting down and weeping. What did we expect? that the world will be put back together without tears? Which Bible were we reading? Even Jesus in the Gospels does not bring in the kingdom without tears. And then just at the end, as our minds spin across the nations and across the centuries to the farthest corners of heaven and in appealing to the great and awesome God of heaven, Nehemiah brings the prayer to a sudden and startling conclusion with this. Give your servant success today by granting him favour in the presence of this man. And who is this man? Nehemiah looks up from his prayer and fixes his gaze to camera one more time and says, because the other thing you need to know is that I was cupbearer to the king. Cut. End of episode one. The credits roll. The theme tune plays. What would the theme music be for a Nehemiah mini-series? Hmm. Is it uh, Starship singing, we built this city with prayer and faith? Well, perhaps there's a reason why I am not a writer of worship songs. But that final line is designed to hang in our memory. The man Nehemiah is about to go into the presence of the king and ask a most daring thing in chapter two that will get the whole rebuilding project moving forward. And all his three or four months of prayer finally come down to this one very specific, very local request. I wonder if, like me, you sometimes look at our world and the challenges of 2021. And you think, Lord, I don't even know where to begin. 
To which I sometimes wonder if the God of Nehemiah says, well, why should you? Unless you start with the mourning and the weeping and the long, slow patience of prayer. Because then our work has a chance of being God's work. And what we build has a chance of being part of what God is building. Now, who knows where that might lead? So tune in next week for episode two, where we will find out why Nehemiah being cupbearer to the king was after all a key part of the way ahead. And just what kind of success he would be needing in the king's presence after all in a plan that will turn out to hinge on, of all things, the fact that Nehemiah still looks sad. Sisters and brothers, in our sadness, through our tears, and in and through all our praying, lies the hope that God, and not us, will overcome the darkness and bring healing to our troubled times. So let us pray. Lord, great and awesome God, who keeps your covenant of love with those who love you, draw us to you in prayer. Intercede for us when we do not have words to say and open our hearts and minds to your work of rebuilding your broken world. Amen. Thank you for listening to the St. Nick's Durham podcast. If you would like to hear more sermons and teaching like this, then subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about St. Nick's, visit our website at stnicks.org.uk.